our food manufacturers graciously offer us a light option. For most of the foods that we ingest, you've been down the grocery store aisles. You've seen the foods that are light on salt, light on fat, light on sugar. You can find light butter and light cream. You can find Bud, Miller, and Corona, all in light options. The Presbyterians here said, amen. The Baptists pretend like they don't know what I'm talking about. At the deli, we can order our sandwich and say, go light on the mayo, light on the vinegar, light on the oil. In other words, we like some, but not too much. So we are predisposed, or at least primed, to believe that we have the same option for our faith for our discipleship, for living our life in the kingdom of God. We want a a light version. We want a little bit, but not too much. And so churches often offer a light service to meet that demand. They lighten up the expectations so that no one feels too guilty about what they're not doing for the Lord We lighten up the message so no one feels too sinful or offended. We make the worshiper and not the one who gave his life on the cross. We make the worshiper the center of all that's happening. Because at the end of the day, all of us are a little bit self-centered. And none of us is overly offended by ourselves. No, there's a gravity to faith. There's a gravity to worshiping around the means of grace. A gravity to making disciples, faithful citizens of Christ's kingdom. There's a gravity about being prepared, each of us, to face the onslaught that has begun and seems like is ever increasing against God and his will and his ways. There's a weight to faith in Christ, a weight to the kingdom of which we are a part, a weight to prayer for our world, a weight to worship. And weight is the opposite of light, the kingdom of God for us. Is about seeking the relentless revelation of God and rigorously regarding his word. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You and I must have a a, a rigorous regard for the relentless revelation of God. If you have your Bibles, would you take them now and turn to the gospel of Mark, the fourth chapter. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of you. And when you found Mark chapter 4, would you stand please so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Mark chapter 4, beginning 
in verse 10. And when Jesus was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And then in verse 21, and he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word your revelation to us. As we come to it now, Lord, we need your spirit to light the path before us so that we might see your truth and understand your truth and live by it. Bless us toward that end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. First, let's talk about the kingdom of heaven in which you and I live, by the grace of God, as being a place of the relentless revelation of God. Look with me again in verse 11. Jesus says to the 12 and to the others who are gathered around, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom. So last week, Jesus revealed the heart of the Father to us with these tender words that he spoke To us, fear not, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And how we rejoiced and were moved by the pleasure of God that he feels toward us. This week, I want to draw us into the heart of the Father once again as he draws us into his secrets. I received an invitation to a friend's 60th birthday party, which was celebrated last night. And printed at the very bottom of the invitation was this message, shh, it's a secret. Well, when I received that invitation, I felt special, like a valued friend. I felt included, let in on the secret. I can't tell you the name of that 60-year-old because if you were not let in on the secret, if you were not invited, you might feel excluded. But even if you were excluded from that party, I'm sure there's been a time in your life when someone has come to you and said in your ear, I'm going to tell you something I've never told anyone else. You are the only one that knows this about me. If you've been brought in in that way, you feel special, trusted, loved, honored. So in addition to being overwhelmed, that God is pleased to give us the kingdom. 
He loves us enough to also reveal his secrets to us. Psalm 8 tells us that God has crowned us with glory and honor. It tells us that he has given us dominion over the work of his hands, that he's put all things under our feet. Listen, this is royal language that God uses about us. It's kingdom language. And again, we're overwhelmed and we're humbled because knowing ourselves as we do know ourselves, we believe our heads to be better fitted for the crown of thorns. Do we not? Instead of the crown of glory that God gives to us, but But God makes it otherwise in Christ. In Christ, he fits us to be those who wear that crown of glory, to be those to whom he can reveal his secrets, the secrets of his kingdom. I know that in verse 11, Mark uses secret in the singular form. But Matthew and Luke, when they write similarly, make it plural. So it's it's legitimate for us to talk about the multiple secrets of God. How many Do you believe them to be? How many are the secrets of God, the mysteries? Do you think you can count them? I think not. Because they come from the heart and the mind of a God who is infinite. I would call the mysteries, the secrets, instead unrelenting. Because they come to us continually, constantly, ceaselessly. I think of the multiple mysteries that come and flow from just one mystery, mystery, like the eternal decrees of God. Like the mystery of our being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. How many mysteries, how many secrets flow to us from just that one mystery? There's nothing light about it. Instead, unrelenting revelation is available to you and to me. Do you avail yourself of it? The Old Testament book of Daniel contains a very compelling story that uses the same word in Hebrew as the one used here for secret or mystery. And I offer this story to us who are even in this moment living in the kingdom of God so that you and I will unrelentingly go after God's relentless revelation to us. The story goes like this. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, was having bad dreams. And the dreams were so disturbing that he couldn't even sleep at night. And so he commanded the magicians and the sorcerers and the enchanters to appear before him. And when they come to him, he tells them this, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, You shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Now, clearly, here's a man who's desperate for revelation. But the enchanters and the sorcerers, they can't interpret his dream. And they say to the king, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. 
For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter. But the king, who is desperate for revelation, does not relent. Instead, he becomes angry, very furious, and he commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. And so the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. But enter Daniel. We know Daniel, don't we? The one who sought to live faithfully before the God who was so faithful to him in his pagan culture. The one who refused to defile himself with the rich food and the rich wine of the king. Daniel, the one who prayed faithfully three times a day to his faithful God beside his open window. Daniel asks the captain of the guard, Why is the decree of the king so urgent? And then Daniel goes to the king and he asks the king, appoint a time, appoint a time for me to come and interpret your dream for you. It appears that Daniel has no doubt that God will reveal the meaning of the dream to him. Nevertheless, Because he also is desperate for a revelation of God. Doesn't presume on God. He doesn't presume on him. Instead, Daniel goes to his friends. We know them as well. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In the next chapter, they're the three that are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. But God is going to rescue them so that not a hair on their head is singed and there's not even the smell of smoke on them. Daniel goes to these three friends, and he says to them, Seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. Don't miss that. The Lord is merciful. He reveals the mystery to Daniel in a vision during the night. And so Daniel blesses the God of heaven saying, He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. And then Daniel makes his way to the king and he says, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Is that good news? There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Then Daniel proceeds to give the king the interpretation of the dream. And then this pagan king himself responds, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries. What a story. What a story. I hope you caught the character of God and the heart of God in it. To those who were desperate for revelation from him, to those who sought his mercy to get it, God revealed the deep and hidden things, the secret things. He brought into light what his faithful ones needed to know. Even this unfaithful one acknowledged God as the true God because he was a revealer of the mysteries. Oh, that you and I, 
You and I, because we know that there's a depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, because you and I know that His ways are unsearchable, because we know that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, that we would seek the mercy of God to reveal them to us, as He did to Daniel and his friends who sought His mercy for the same revelation in the midst of the pagan culture in which they lived and in which they sought to be faithful subjects of God as their true king. As I said, you and I cannot number the mysteries or the secrets of God. But we know that he has revealed to us the mystery of his will, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Listen, the time has come. The kingdom is now. Christ came to inaugurate it. And all things unite. All things are summed up. All things are brought together. All things are joined, merged, combined, connected. They all coalesce in the person of Christ. How? Well, that's exactly why you and I must seek the mercy of God to reveal those things to us in our lives. Unrelenting are the truths of God in Christ that he will reveal to us. But listen, they're not light things. You and I must seek his mercy in order that we might know them while we live in God's kingdom here on earth. You and I must never be satisfied with, contented with light living, with disconnected, disjointed, divided living, which will only end for us in disharmony and dystopia. You and I must not wait until we are desperate or until we feel vulnerable or fearful or until disorder or even death loom before us before we will seek the mercy of the Lord to reveal the mystery of his being revealed in Christ. Instead, we must seek the mercy of God for how the depths of the person of Christ can bring unity to our lives, to your life, to my life, to show us how work and family and school and relationships and recreations, how they all come together in Christ. This is what kingdom living is supposed to look like for us, unified in Christ. Jesus says so plainly and encouraging here, to you has been given the secret of the mystery of God. It's for you and for me. While we live here on earth in the kingdom of God to seek the mercy of God for the unrelenting revelation of God. Secondly, the kingdom of God or 
Kingdom life for us must also be one of rigorous regard. Look in verse 23. Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This is a command from our Savior, and it calls for a response. He has spoken. Now we must listen. This phrase is one of Jesus' favorite that we read throughout the Gospels. But not only there, but also when he speaks to the Apostle John in Revelation. Revelation 2.7, Jesus says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In verse 11, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chapter 3, verse 6, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Verse 13, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And in verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Seven times he says it. Seven is the number of perfection and completion in the Bible, so I'll leave that one for you to ponder. And I exhaust us with the reading of each of the seven, because there is a gravity, there's a weight, there's a seriousness about the words that Jesus speaks. He doesn't drop them lightly, take it or leave it. No, he commands, let him hear. This command is followed by a similar one in verse 24. Jesus says, pay attention. To what you hear. That word literally means look at. Jesus drops the words, we pick them up. We look at them. We contemplate them. We consider them. All the nuances of them. It's so clear. Jesus calls you and me to rigorously regard every word that comes from his mouth. That's what life in the kingdom is about. Regarding his word, attending to the word of the Lord, on the surface, these parables seem to be quaint little stories from everyday life. There doesn't appear to be much depth to a story about a woman who loses a coin and searches her house until she finds it. There doesn't seem to be much depth about a shepherd who goes off to find the one sheep that wandered away. There doesn't seem to be much depth about, depth about fishermen who divide the fish that they haul in from the net. Of course, they throw the bad ones away. These are common everyday experiences. Really, they're not compelling. If only the story is the point, but the parables are not just stories. They are revelations of God's secret. You and I hold in our hand. Hold your Bible. Hold it. We hold in our hands a revelation of God's secrets. And we have to carefully regard it, attend to it, 
for what it is and give it the weight that it deserves. There is no lightness about Christ in these parables or in his commands to listen and to pay attention. The parables are God's revelation of his kingdom, which is fulfilled in Christ. And Jesus has not withheld from us. He has not withheld from us the secrets of God because he has not withheld himself from us. And the parables are a reflection and a fulfillment of who he is. Christ has freely given himself to us. He's the embodiment of the mystery of God made known. Queen Elizabeth, not the one who just died, the first one. She wanted Archbishop Grendel to stop prophesyings. And prophesyings were the meetings where Puritan clergy were trained how to preach and how to pray. How thankful are we for that training? How about that prayer in the bulletin this morning from Valley of Vision? In fact, Queen Elizabeth wanted to discourage preaching altogether. She wanted only for people to say a few prayers, take the bread and the cup, and be done. Now she was Anglican. (laughs) Now I've insulted everyone, haven't I? So church light is nothing new. It was something that was sought after 500 years ago. But the archbishop, who was a Calvinistic Puritan, wrote a letter defending these training meetings. And he said to the queen, I choose rather to offend your earthly majesty than to offend the heavenly majesty of God. And then he wrote this. Public and continual preaching of God's word is the ordinary means and instrument of the salvation of mankind. By preaching of God's word, the glory of God is enlarged. Faith is nourished. Charity increased. By it, the ignorant is instructed. The negligent exhorted and invited. The stubborn rebuked. The weak conscience comforted. And to all those that sin of malicious wickedness, the wrath of God is threatened. By preaching, obedience is planted in the hearts of subjects. For obedience proceeds of conscience. Conscience is grounded upon the word of God. The word of God works his effect by preaching, so as generally when preaching is lacking, obedience fails. This archbishop had a passion for the revealed word of God, for making what was hidden known. He understood the weight of it. He understood the whole life transformation that could be had from the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And so we need to feel the full weight this morning to have that same passion and understanding. We need to put aside the thought of light church, light faith, light discipleship, light 
living in the kingdom. Instead, let's be unrelentingly, unrelentingly devoted to the revelation of God. Let's rigorously regard every word that he relentlessly reveals. Let's pray. Father, may it be true of us that we might be people who, by your mercy, seek to know the depths of the riches of Christ. May it be so that we are people who have an ear, who do listen to what your Spirit says to us. May we be people who pick up every word and look at it carefully, to know it, to understand it, to apply it to our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.